have this friendly against Latvia, which is a little bit of a nothing game. It could be interesting that game now, if it is the case that this is when Evan Ferguson starts, and maybe that's his chance. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts, and download the OTB Sports app. Off the ball, daily. And you are welcome along to Tuesday night's Off the Ball. It's Richie McCormick here with you until 10 p.m. tonight. Busy one on the way and another packed one too. We've got Joe Canning on the show after 8 o'clock. He is the subject of the first in the 21st series of Lake Regale, which commences on TG Car this Thursday night. Joe is going to join us after 8 p.m. to talk through his career, his relationship with the media, uh, possible regrets stemming from his time with Galway and lots, lots more. Perhaps even his take on the Kilmacud Glen situation. We will have more on that with uh, former Kilmacud Croaks player, indeed hurler Ryan O'Dwyer, who has been pretty vocal about the situation today. He's going to join us after half past seven to discuss more of that. On the football show, Dan McDonnell is going to join us in studio. There's lots going on on the home front between the FAI AGM finally getting over the line at the weekend, potential arrivals as regards Stephen Kenny's backroom staff, uh, one person staying, one person definitely not coming back, and we get an update on the Juventus situation in Syria. In case you missed it, on Friday night they were deducted 15 points for various improprieties, namely around the uh, area of transfers, and have suddenly found themselves in the Champions League places in Syria, cast down to the muck of the mid-table Syria sides, and what could potentially come for them, uh, which is even worse. That's all on the way with uh, Daniele Fisichella. Mick McCarthy, who joins us in studio for the news round, has polluted my mind, almost calling him Giancarlo for the entire duration <laughs> that this piece has been in the offing. And I got through it because we recorded a little bit earlier on without wanting to give too much of a glimpse behind the curtain. Recorded earlier on. Got through the whole thing without calling him Giancarlo once, which I was immensely proud of. Yeah. And then Will O'Callaghan asked, did you ever, did you call him Gianluca? <laughs> which was, would have been a whole new twist off. That, yeah. That's just Will saying all Italians are the same. Uh, Amory Donlan, the notorious AMD, <laughs> joins us in studio uh, for the news round as well. Uh, the Kill McCud stuff still ongoing. Obviously, we're going to talk to Ryan O'Dwyer after half seven uh, about this, Mick, but we did get pretty late in the day last night an update from Glenn themselves and pretty rightly stating that they shouldn't be the ones who have to go to the GEA cap in hand and say, do you might want to look at this, lads? Because mm. it's putting them in a invidious position. Yeah, it seems to be whatever side you're on on this, that seems to be what people uh, will agree on, is that this is just a tough, tough situation for the Glen and one that they shouldn't have to be in. Now, we spoke to the GA earlier and uh, they say that it's basically the only way to do it, that it would be a free-for-all of madness set as a precedent in this if uh, they were to intervene themselves because every refereeing decision would be uh, in every match would be open to a review uh, from the GEA and that's just the way they have to do it is that they have to get a complaint in. Now, I think that could be argued and I know Joe Brawley on the show last night would have absolutely argued that but that was what they came back to us with when we contacted them today. I don't know. That, I, I'm not sure if I buy that scenario whereby if it was just up to them then every potential refereeing decision will be under review because you have to have enough faith in your own officials Amory to figure that they are 99% of the time going to get things right otherwise you wouldn't have them doing the job that they're doing Yeah and the la- every refereeing decision isn't the last gasp second of an All-Ireland final where there's one score mm. in the difference so the stakes are ultimately higher here than 99% of other refereeing decisions. But I do understand the point there that it could turn into a bit of a free-for-all, but the rule book does clearly state that it's either an objection 
or an investigation in, from the relevant committee. Mm. Um, so if it happens, it's going to be the objection, it seems like. Talk has kind of turned today to when is this replay as opposed to... <laughs> when will they yeah. It seems like if. it seems like an awful lot of people are expecting it now. Well, they know <clears throat> it would seem what's going to be a major influence on them is how it fits in the calendar. And the start of the Football League is going to be a major influence on this as well, which is coming up rapidly. I don't know necessarily if it should be, um, because as you mentioned, I don't think any of those players were probably going to be involved, be it for Derry, Dublin or indeed Galway. Uh, yeah, like weekend. Galway play Mayo and Castlebar on Saturday. Was Shane Walsh definitely not going to be involved? It's It's... It would be unusual that they vault straight. Okay. Like I'm just going on the, the one, uh, the the one example or several examples you would have used um, is Ballyhale. You yeah. wouldn't necessarily see Ballyhale people or players going straight in from whether they've been successful in an All Ireland final or not, going straight in from one week to the next playing club into. Yeah, well, I mean, in the in the past, we obviously would have had the club game go well into the league when we had Paddy's Day finals, you know, and it was just a normal thing that you were without your Ballyhale players or your Kilmacud players or your Glen players or whatever, and that was just sort of the, the way it was. Now, obviously, we are trying to get to a calendar year club um, uh, competition that we're not quite at yet, but, uh, you know, I, if counties weren't, you know, counting on not having these players, that's fine. But again, you're talking about one week. I think the calendar issue is more to do with probably TV and competing against themselves and stadiums and various other issues about having a full round of National Football League fixtures this week and an All-Ireland final replay thrown in there. But, you know, replays can happen in the game, yeah. you know, and there's contingency plans for them. So, um, yeah, like, I mean, again, like, not to, to, not to repeat ourselves from last night, but I think... But was in some ways it's a no-brainer and the, sorry the other thing is that the the, the, the GA not getting you not making the decisions themselves and the refereeing free-for-all my take on that would be that like a technical violation like this is very different from an interpretation decision or, e or even a kind of a a ball that was over that was white yeah. you know like I, I think you know unless maybe there's a you know, a Hawkeye thing or something like that but I, I think this is a really technical thing of having too many players you know, there has to be a risk of disqualification. Yeah, to your for point, that. it's not. It's you know, not interpreted. Why not play sixteen players? We're not asking the GEA to step in and have their own take on whether somebody was fouled or not, or what constitutes a a, a, a caution or, or a sending off. Yeah. It's a fairly cut and dried numerical thing that should be dealt with rather rapidly, rather than this procedural saga where. Yeah. I don't know if it made it to Liveline today, but it feels like we're heading in that territory whereby we're going to have representatives of different clubs and different uh, outposts getting involved and talking to Joe. Yeah, I know we're talking to Ryan O'Dwyer in a few minutes and, you know, I think a lot of that is he's obviously an, an, an ex-Kilmacud man and he thinks that some of the treatment has been unfair or the media kind of like treatment of this story has been unfair on Kilmacud. And... You know, it's interesting. He's, you know, he obviously wants to kind of express that opinion, and far be it from us to deny him the chance. But I do have to say, regardless, I don't think many people are blaming Kilmacud. I don't. I think, I think maybe that's the perception that's there. I don't think it's there. Maybe there's a feeling of, you know, an ease to take it off them because people don't really want them to win it anyway. Mm. I think maybe that's what they're feeling today, and it'll be interesting to go into it, Ryan. But I have to say, I feel very sorry for the players. You win in <coughs> All Ireland, yeah. you know what I mean? And it's like there was a mistake made. I don't think there's anything nefarious in it. I would go so far as to say I'm quite sure there wasn't. And a mistake is made, but ultimately they won a game 
you know, and while I do think there should be a replay, I feel very sorry for them winning in All-Ireland, going home on the Sunday night, you know, there was fireworks in Kilmacud, there was a lot of celebration, mm-hmm. and then you wake up Monday morning, and gradually as the day goes on on Monday, when you're probably maybe having a few points to celebrate, and as the day goes on, it just appears that everybody's against you and everybody wants this All-Ireland taken off you. Regardless of whether we're right or wrong, I can understand that getting you a little bit frustrated, you know? Second-guessing that 15-point celebration and going, mate, do you know what? There might be a replay not, on Saturday week. You said that, not me. I, I wouldn't <laughs> have any possible way of knowing. Uh, it's also turned into Irish Day Oscar-wise. Many of the Oscar nomination films have you seen, Mick? Uh, well, I've seen... Um, I've seen uh, the Banshees of Sharon, which I think is going to win all the Oscars. So therefore, I've seen all the Oscar films. Okay, fair enough. Well, I'm now in a position whereby it's always the case where I've seen more of the kids' films. Than, yeah. Or the, sorry, <clears throat> the best animated picture nominees than I have the actual best picture nominees because. Yeah. So where would you get the tired to go to the cinema? I don't know, but I went to the cinema to see that. It was the only time I've been to the cinema since our second child was born, and uh, I very much enjoyed it. And luckily for me, it turns out it's the film of the year. It's mad to see a Top Gun nominated for best movie, isn't it? I, I haven't actually I seen the, the list. All Quiet in the Western Front is the list, right? Avatar: Way of the Water, uh, Banshees of Inisherin. Avatar. Avatar. Yeah. That. Uh, Elvis movie. Uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once, which is a uh, massive so favorite, I think. Yeah, The Fablemans, Spielberg's new one, Tor. Uh, which stars Kate Blanchett. Um, oh, not one. Thor, like... <laughs> not Thor, is no. it? No, with the hammer. Blood no. and Thunder or something. What was it? Love and Thunder? Love and Thunder. Blood and Thunder. Go on, Richard. That's more what we see at Crow Park. Uh, Triangle <laughs> of Sadness is nominated as well, and Women Talking uh, by Dee Gardner. So, Gardner and in the Tom. actors, though, we have... <gasps> isn't like two Tom, out of Paul five. Meskel and Colin Farrell are going up against each other, and then you have the two... Uh, the two the supporting actors... Barry Gilgan. Barry Gilgan yeah. up against each other. Most important, I just That's saw Judd Hirsch is nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Judd Hirsch, star of Taxi, back in the day. That's pretty That's pretty huge, though, for a uh, star of uh, normal people and famous Gaelic football man, Paul Meskell. If you want to bring it to sport as a Kildare <laughs> minor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, being nominated for a small film like that, which is meant to be incredible, by the way, yeah. um, being nominated for Best Actor, is like, that is, that is such a, like, he is, he can do what he wants now. Right. You know? Kean Fahey on the team has just put in the, the, the chat saying Top Gun Maverick is one of the best films I've ever seen I was shocked by it now I don't know how you want to that to temper your view of how that film is or isn't I just I just haven't seen it I've heard nothing but good things Okay. he Fair was enough. shocked by it like shocked by shocked the quality shocked by how good it was or, oh yeah yeah because yeah. okay. it's like it's a Top Gun with Tom Cruise okay. you're not going in with like 40 years in the making exactly a lot of expectation whatever. there nearly <laughs> yeah. 40 years Yeah. anyway we should crack on uh, with the news round Amory there is Carabao Cup uh, football on tonight yeah the Carabao Cup reaches the semi-final stage tonight kickoff at St Mary's in just under an hour's time at 8 o'clock after knocking out Manchester City in the last round Southampton will look to continue their really impressive run in this competition they host Newcastle in the first leg of their last four tie as I said that's underway at 8 Eddie Howe's side go into this off the back of a frustrating scoreless draw with Crystal Palace at the weekend while the Saints lost 1-0 to Aston Villa. Gavin Bazunu there starts in goals for the home side. Elsewhere, a fourth round tie at home to Leeds is the prize on offer for the winners of tonight's FA Cup replay between Accrington Stanley and non-league Boreham Wood. The North London side are the lowest ranked club left in the competition. That kicks off at a quarter to eight. I feel that Boreham Wood, Accrington Stanley 
Ty has gotten more mentions than most here in the show between myself and yourself there last uh, oh, the week frozen so. pitch last week yeah, yeah. I don't know Accrington Stanley yeah we didn't even go for the who are they joke oh it's too late uh, more on the Everton situation because they're looking all over the place for a new manager in, in replacement of Frank Lampard Former Leeds manager Marcelo Bielsa is the favourite for the vacant role at Struggling Everton after Frank Lampard was officially sacked yesterday. Ex-Burnley boss Sean Dyche, Duncan Ferguson and Wayne Rooney are also being linked with the role. This is set to be the eighth manager at Goodison Park during owner Farad Mashiri's seven-year reign. The board has reportedly held talks with former manager Sam Allardyce as well about the role and they contacted Maurizio Pochettino um, Contacted, <laughs> but we don't know if any talks were held, as in he might have shot that down pretty yeah, quick. I, I just thought he just looked at that and said, I'm not answering that call. Uh, Pochettino was approached for the Villa job, um, which is, you know, financially at least a far more stable and attractive yeah. job, and just thought it wasn't anywhere near his league. Uh, so I can't understand why he'd be in any way interested in this. That's probably a cosmetic thing from their point of view to say that that name was put yeah. out there and that they're, that's the calibre of manager that they're looking for. But, but if, if they are doing, like, you know, as been reported, like, I mean, you've a list, you've Sean Dyche on the list, but there's been reports that they're not interested. It's like the hubris of that, like, you know, Sean Dyche would actually be the perfect manager for them right now. Well, there might, be, there might be mitigating circumstances behind that. And it's something that we touched on with Jonathan Wilson last night on the show is that they might just want somebody to get them to May and to keep them up. And Sean Dyche might be seen as a longer term project or he might see it as a longer term project. And therefore, it mightn't be viable. But they, there is a lack of, to, to something else that Jonathan said last night at the show, if you look at the candidates there, like Ralph Hasenhutl's name has been mentioned, Sean Dyche's name has been mentioned, Marcelo Bielsa is, is the front runner. In terms of the approach to playing football, they're all over the map. Yeah, there's no rhyme or reason to it at all. No, like, no, yeah. like it's scattergun to see who's available and, and get somebody in and that's but what's landed them in this position. Do you know what I would again. say to that though is that's why I would get in, like forget about whether you think it's a long-term project or not. It's like Everton don't have any long-term, you know, at least medium-term future unless they stay up this year. And it's like someone like Dyche would be a really good manager for them. I really do think so. I think he would get a, a club that's in disarray into shape and that's what they need and worry about next year next year you know and if that means having to give them a bigger contract or whatever fine but like I agree there's no rhyme or reason but there's been no rhyme or reason to any way that the club has been run for the past at least four or five years right mm-hmm. so start now you know what I mean it's like start now he'll 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 make something he'll he'll shape something up with that squad and then maybe decide what kind of a club they want to be or what sort of football they want to play. Mm, it's um, it's an interesting one. It's I, very, like, they're in a very, very dangerous situation. I don't, Everton are in big trouble if they go down. Every, they're building a new stadium and everything. You know? Everything about that club, like, I, I said it at the weekend, even I think before the, the result came in on Saturday, it's such a toxic environment from the playing squad. You looked at, at the stories about Abdoulaye Dekoure, who was forced to train on his own because of the atmosphere that he was bringing or the row that he apparently had with Lampard. Uh, management is in like a no-win situation because they just can't win. They can't get on with the board. They can't win matches. Everything on that front is bad. The playing confidence is through the floor. And then you've got a completely dysfunctional board who are pulling in several different directions, don't know what kind of manager they want to appoint and aren't going to have any kind of standing with their own fans. It's like, it's, if ever there was a club in need of a turning off and turning back on again, it's yeah. Everton. 
They need to get this manager right somewhat or else they're going to totally lose the fans. It feels like they're 90% gone and the frustration, even with Lampard, it didn't seem like the frustration was totally at him. No. It was all at the board, yeah. So they really need to get this right. But I but think like Lampard didn't know what he was doing. So I, I actually, you're completely right. The fans are kind of past blaming a manager yeah. at this stage, you know, and they know understandably it's so yeah. and they're right. But also... Like Lampard didn't know what he was doing, which meant that he wasn't able to put sticky tape over the problem. Mm. I honestly think someone like Dyche, and I'm not just trying to reinvent Sean Dyche as a new Sam Allardyce here. I actually think he's a good manager who can, like, maybe maybe there's a limit to what he can do. We don't know because he was only ever manager at Burnley, who have like incredibly limited uh, financial. Um, support, Still the right? Watford thing as well. But, yeah, yeah, sorry, but I mean, in, you know, recently, anyway, in in, in terms of in like what we in kind of in would have in what we think with, of Sean yeah, Dyche, yeah. exactly. Yeah, so we don't actually know where he can go, but it's not like he's not. It's not just this kind of like old school English pragmatic manager who's going to whip them up into shape. I think he can do that, but it's, there's more to him than that. It's you not don't that stay reductive. in the Premier League with Burnley by just being a hoofball merchant. Exactly, he's yeah. not like yeah. yeah. Um, that is the uh, Everton situation I'm sure we'll touch on that with Dan in the football show after 9 o'clock who knows might even have an appointment by then uh, the way things go with Everton it's quite funny we might do uh, but, and we'll um, know about it long before Everton tell us anyway exactly. <laughs> there's a five hours gap between everybody having the Lampard is sacked and Everton announcing it last night insane it's probably part of the problem as well uh, news on Chelsea as well today Emery UEFA's financial fair play rules are to be changed in response to Chelsea's recent transfer wow. activity the Premier League club has put a number of their new players on long-term contracts, allowing them to spread the transfer fee over a number of years. Football's governing body is now to set a five-year limit. Clubs can be banned from competitions for breaking regulations. What happens with those new Chelsea signings around seven and a half and eight-year contracts? Do they revert back to five or are they just going to be allowed to stand as they are? Oh, I don't actually know. That's a good point. I'd imagine if they're already done. done. done, They can't alter it, yeah. Uh, it's Chelsea are gas. Like, I mean, UEFA changing the rules because of how they're going. Like, you remember Todd Bowley? We were wondering what, what sort of a chairman he'd be or what sort of a owner he'd be. At least he was thinking outside the box. I, was, I mean, to such a degree oh, no, that UEFA have gone get money back they've in their spend, box. Richie. Like, and I was watching, you know, that like transfer talk roundtable thing they have on Sky Sports News. Right. I, for my sins, I had it on for five minutes and they kind of got to the thing where they were sent. And what about Chelsea? Are they still in the market? And the whole table, they all started like cackling, rightly yeah. so. And they still and, are. And then they went. Oh, by the way, we're dead serious. They're going, they're looking to bring in three more players yeah. before the deadline. They're still, three more en- players. they're still sniffing around Enzo Fernandez. who's not going to come cheap if he does get prized away from from Benfica. The the, the funny thing is actually, and it it, it kind of t- is something that's touched upon in our chat with Daniele Fisichella later on in the football show, is around Juventus and how players are valued because one of the reasons why that initial case around Juventus fell apart was that the prosecution had based the value of players on estimates from the website Transfermarkt and anybody who's kind of looked into football and looked for details and stats and so that's probably used Transfermarkt but they have valuations on players Um, but it goes to a question of how do you value an asset because a footballer if you're a football club and if you're a publicly traded company like a lot of them are at this stage are assets how do you go by evaluating them accurately yeah I don't know it's a good question but I suppose there has to be yeah I don't know it's a fair point because you know you say what's, what would the market pay for similar players but when it comes to something as uh, loose as a footballer's talent level yeah. and value to a club how do you define what a similar player is 
You know what I mean? There was a, you know house prices and people paying their property tax and trying yeah. to de- devalue their house. You could say my next door neighbour and the other next door neighbour have valued it at this much. Therefore, my value is. Um, is, is you the, can't really do that with a footballer. Is the cost of an asset, in i.e. a footballer, devalued by, say you have, say your house is rather spick and span, right? And you've got two houses either side of you that are absolute kips, right? Does, this, that, does, does that affect a player in the same way? So if you're like surrounded by, if you're a midfielder and you're actually a Rolls Royce of a midfielder, but you've got two donkeys playing alongside you, does that affect your market value? If you're a club? I don't know. Who are you thinking about? I've got people in mind, Mick. <laughs> I've got people in mind. Um, now on to uh, the League of Ireland's very own Athletic Bilbao. Kerry FC has announced today Austin Stacks goalkeeper Wayne Guthrie is their latest sign-in. Guthrie was part of the Stacks team that won the Kerry Senior Football Championship title in 2021. He previously represented Trilly Dynamos in the League of Ireland A Championship and played for Ireland at under-15 level. Mix looked at me like I have two heads. But I just want to let Bill Bow explain. They're basically, Kerry FC have had a habit in this window. Obviously, they're first before admission to the first division only buying carry players yeah which is right, class okay. I'm, I'm 100% behind this idea I think it's Their brilliant squad look decent it's okay I mean it's, it's first division standard I think already which is all you really want I mean you're not going to get relegated from the first division once they're able to it's being stable and getting in a crowd and I think they'll be able to do that this year but I, I love that idea of somebody starting off in the league with a basis of not 100% I don't think but it's close on it of yeah. local players I'm just disappointed it took me that long to get to, to get, get where you were going, but I also did get there just before you explained it. So I didn't redeem myself, <laughs> but I didn't disgrace myself either. Look, it's like you've heard the Inaki Williams story today as well that Villa, your beloved, wanted to pay 45 million for him. And Bill Bow had said, okay. And he's like, I don't want to leave the Basque country. I'm like, fair play to you. Yeah, he just wants absolutely. to be a one club man going forward. That is class. Loving yeah. that. More Inaki would you swap Bill Bow for Birmingham if you had oh, a choice? Come here. You know Villa's new signing, whose name I've forgotten? John Duran. John Duran. Did you see, uh, Colombian, did you see Juan Pablo Angel's video message to him as he sat in the Holt end? Oh. And they put it on the big screen and Juan Pablo oh, yeah. Angel gave a, a brilliant speech about how much his time at Villa meant to him ah. and how much he was going to enjoy it. And it was all in Spanish, obviously, and then he just ended with, up the villa. <laughs> in the Spanish accent? Yeah. Ah, well, in Colombian accent. Actually. What's he looking like now? He's looking well. The, hair, the long hair is gone, but other than that, he's still like a a, a beautiful man. He, yeah. he was ridiculously handsome. Yeah, uh, speaking and of, so. he t- much like myself, Mick. Amory, we're getting to the sharp end of the Australian Open. Stefanis Tsitsipas has made it into the semi-finals of the men's singles at the Australian Open in Melbourne. The Greek third seat defeated Czech player Yuri Lehechka in straight sets earlier today and he will now face Russia's Karen Kanachov in the last four. He held a two-set advantage over American Sebastian Korda before Korda had to retire through injury. In the women's draw then, a two-time champion Alina Rabakina is into the semi-finals. That's after a straight sets win over Yelena Ostapenko, while the reigning Wimbledon champion will now face two-time winner Victoria Azarenka. She overcame third seed Jessica Pugala today, 6 Four, six, one. That Corda family is disgracefully talented. It's really annoying, isn't it? Like when you have Seb and you have, you know, Nelly and all these people playing golf and tennis and come yeah. from Petter, who is a rather handy tennis player himself. It's makes it's the Irish equivalent. What is the Irish equivalent? The O'Briens. 
I think I worked out in, in the quiz there, Kevin and Niall O'Brien and their sister. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. His name escapes me, he played um, hockey. And I think between the three of them, they have, I think, nearly 600 international caps. That's insane. Wow. Yeah, over 500 anyway. That is insane. Yeah. Your uh, um, Irish multi-sport Irish families. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, you have yeah. to, you have to for, for that equivalent. Not just, not just one multi-sport. Anybody can have, you know, somebody playing soccer and uh, the yeah, father yeah, playing yeah, soccer. Two, two rugby players. In the Mul- team multi-sports is 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 where it's at. What we're thinking here. Five through one six. There aren't many. Can't be many. I can't no. think of any others. Five through one six. When you in contact tonight, of course. Maybe two GA codes, or whatever. But I don't think that quite counts, does it? No. It should, no. but wow. <laughs> maybe one of them is handball. <laughs> at least then it's different uh, the news round brought to you of course by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day thank you for your text so far with a lot of good managers out there asks Jerry. Uh, was it discussed as why Frank Lampard ever got the Chelsea or Everton jobs with no track record the no track record thing is I wouldn't say harsh but he did have the Derby stint behind him which was creditable what did he do at Derby he knocked Leeds out of the playoffs Got sang play- about himself in the dressing room and yeah. then lost the Villa in the final yeah yeah, good enough yeah sang his own song in the dressing room He's fun. pure PR. Do you think? Yeah, come on, he is. I think there's a little bit more substance to him. And I think, I just, I, I, I think there is an element, there is a, a, a bit of truth to what Jerry's saying there I, I, in that they get bigger jobs, these level of former player quicker than you're... Yeah, and that's fair. Yeah. And obviously if well I, we don't know how much Everton's board thinks about their fans but obviously fans buy into that as well to a degree mm. but then when it starts going badly their legend status quickly goes out the window but he yeah. is he is PR like where is he going to go next said last night USA yeah. international manager's job yeah going so to the CONCACAF Gold Cup he, ta- he talks a good talk like but yeah. there's not much to him it's taking its effect on his hair by the way I've seen that recently no, he's got a bit of a sunroof going on at the back. Right. <laughs> he's got smoke and mirrors in terms of trying to keep that together. I feel his pain. I absolutely feel his pain. Uh, from an unsuccessful boss to a, a successful Chelsea boss. Chelsea boss Emma Hayes has reiterated her calls for all clubs in the Women's Super League to have under-soil heating. Their WSL game against Liverpool was abandoned because of a frozen pitch at Kings Meadow over the weekend. That was after six minutes of play. Hayes says the top tier should be treated the same as the Men's Premier League, where all stadiums have the proper resources to prevent frozen pitches. I think just in general, like... If, if this is the top division for women's football, then we should be afforded exactly the same opportunity. Um, so, as far as I'm concerned, this isn't about Chelsea. This is about women's football and being in a place where we're working hard to build a fan base, to build a business, to build all of those things without many, many years, without you know equal access to things. And let's hope that we can continue to work towards that. You sell out a game at your stadium, which for us was at King's Meadow, so the plan was to be there, but we've got pitch covers and heaters that are designed to prevent frozen pitches. So if, if they don't do that job, then we have to have another solution for that, and that's not my job to do that. That's for the league and the clubs to work through the best solution so we never cancel games. I've said this for years, cancelling games has a detrimental impact on our sport. So 
whatever that takes to ensure that fans who are travelling from up and down the country are not showing up and having a game cancelled six minutes in uh, is something we should all work towards. It's a bigger story. Uh, lads, come on now, behave yourselves. There you go, that's Emma Hayes speaking about the shambles that was uh, Liverpool-Chelsea in the Women's Super League uh, at the weekend. Uh, they're multi-sport families, three Hawkshaws, says one texter, which also sounds like it could be an Oscar-nominated film, yeah. to be fair. Maybe it is. It could be. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah, no, David Hawkshaw um, is a, uh, I think he won a Grand Slam. He's captain of the Grand Slam team. In under 20 uh, rugby, yeah. yeah, in under twenties in twenty nineteen, and his sister um, Sarah, I think, plays rugby for Ireland, and possibly, and and she plays hockey as well. So there you go, there you uh, go. Conor Callahan's dad played for Dublin, obviously, and his man played for Ireland in hockey. Also, uh, brothers in different codes and G. Yeah, fight through on six. Keep them coming. We might come back to them uh, throughout the evening. But for now, Anne Marie, thank you very much. Uh, Mick will be hearing from you a little bit later on as well.